I'm going to be reading from Micah 5, 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she is in labor and has given birth. Then the rest of their brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And we shall stand and shepherd, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod as its entrances. And he shall deliver from us, from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Uh, we're in the book of Micah. If you have your Bibles, I would like to encourage you to open it to the book of Micah. It's an old uh, seven chapter long Old Testament prophet. Um, and it's tucked right between Obed, <coughs> Jonah, sorry, Jonah and Nahum, if that makes it any easier for you, just between Jonah and Nahum. Um, but it's, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. Um, we have a, a book that I'd love to encourage you to get. The book of the month is Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. I'm going to leave that up here. If you donate $10 to the church, we bought it as a church to bless your families. We're reading through this as a family um, about how to see Christ this season. So I wanna leave that for you. We're taking a pause from our normal series through the Gospel of Mark to go back to the Old Testament um, and look at prophecies from the prophets about the coming of the Messiah. A number of goals that I have for these, these four weeks leading up for Christmas first of all, is to awaken a passion in you, or at least an interest, for reading the prophets, for reading the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, in 2024. So the last Sunday of this month, I'm going to give you all different reading plans that you can choose from to encourage you to read God's Word in 2024. If you've never read through the whole Bible in a year, this may be the year for you. If you've never read the Old Testament, but you've read the new one, this could be the year to read the Old Testament. If you've never read through the New Testament, I'd encourage you to start there. But reading and seeing God's plan from ages past to bring the Messiah will deepen your faith and should, as it happened with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, cause a fire in your heart to burn for Christ. And so that's what we want to do going back to the prophets in this month of the Advent. Secondly, I'd like to lift your eyes above the spot you are in in your life currently that you might see God's plan in the ages. Um, as we sang this song, He Deserves a Greater Glory, um, about our good and gracious King, uh, I, 
I was getting sort of emotional. I don't know about you guys, but I was getting emotional thinking of some things that some in our congregation are going through right now. Sickness, recovery of really, really um, severe sickness. Currently, I want you to pray, especially for Russia, who's been sick um, with a severe headache now for five days. Um, we have all sorts of heavy things that we're going through in our lives. We have also just the busyness of the things that keep our attention in our lives. And going back to the prophets and how they point, how God shows us his plan for the Messiah can put into perspective our little lives and what God might be doing. So that's another goal as we go to the, the prophet Micah today. Thirdly, I would like to help you to worship the eternal Son of God this Christmas season. As we think about the reason for his coming. So our subject last week, we were in Isaiah looking at the virgin birth. Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive and his name will be called Emmanuel. That was a very short 15 minute with translation idea about the virgin birth of Jesus and why he had to be born of a virgin. Today, the topic from the book of Matthew we're calling it, if Alice could go with me to that slide, Peace on Earth from Tiny Bethlehem. Um, in Arabic, Salam ala al-ard min bayt lahem. So, peace on earth from tiny Bethlehem. God's plan from one tiny place to do something big, universal, and eternal to bring peace, not only to the world, but to your heart, to your struggles today. So we're talking about how God delights to do great things with small people, how God delights to bring a great king from the smallest of places, and how God delights to overcome the worst evil with the smallest amount of good. Reminds us of Jesus' story of the mustard seed and how the kingdom is like a small seed that when it grows into a huge tree in which all the birds of heaven can find rest in its branches. So my prayer, as I think the prophet Micah's prayer was then, as he got this vision from the Lord, is that you would learn or find rest in the branches of this ruler who came from Bethlehem. So a little context, Alex, if you could help me out in the book of Micah. So we're jumping into um, this book. I'm just going to give you a very brief idea. Micah was a prophet, lived between 650 B.C., um, from 750 B.C., I'm sorry, to 670 B.C., prophesied around the same time as Isaiah, who was a much better, much better known prophet. He prophesied to the people of Israel, and Judah, or so Samaria and Judah. Three, this was 300 years after King David. We call him Dawood. And 700 years before the Messiah. So to give you an idea of when this prophet came, Alex, if you go to the next one, what was the message of Micah? The message is he prophesied to the leaders of Judah and Samaria. These were the religious leaders and the rulers, so the priest and the king. And there were many kings. Micah had a fairly long ministry. In particular, the king that he was speaking to in chapter 5 was one named Ahaz. 
Um, Micah's goal, like all of the prophets during that time, was threefold. So he was first calling people to righteousness. He was calling the people of Israel to follow God and to submit themselves to God's law. Also, he was warning them of judgment because for so long they had left God and they were following idols. But thirdly, and this is the beautiful part of chapter 5 that we're going to look at, is he was offering them hope. And God, in all of the prophecies of judgment in the Old Testament, always delivers hope. So I want to go, if you would, to the next one. There's three key verses of Micah to help set sort of a framework about what Micah's message was. Three key verses is about righteousness, judgment, and hope. The first that I want to point out is chapter 6 and verse 8. And if you have your Bibles, you can look at it with me. Um, Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with God. This was Micah calling people to the heart of God, which is not rituals, but to do good and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Secondly, the, the next verse I want to point out, if you go back to chapter 3, is a key verse about judgment. So um, the people of Israel had assumed that because God was, had chosen them that, and he had put his love upon them, that then they had no more responsibility to do God's word and to follow God. And so they um, were very rebellious and were, they were selling religious practices for money. They were basically prostituting God's work for the nations around them. The nations saw the powerful works of God and then they began to sell it. And so this is what Micah says in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 about judgment. He says, its heads, speaking of the heads of Israel, give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination or seeing the future for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So this was a prophecy about the coming destruction of Jerusalem because of the wickedness of the people of Israel. That did happen. Not many years after he prophesied this, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, totally flattened. Every stone of the temple was taken apart and laid flat and was destroyed. God wanted them to know it was be this is why this is happening. So he said it before it happened. We have many prophets today or so-called prophets who think they can say why a earthquake happened or why a flood happened to a people and they speak about God's judgment on a group of people after the fact. This was God giving a very specific prophecy about judgment and why it was coming because they had left God. But in the middle of that, he gives a word of hope and a key verse for that is toward the end in the last chapter in verse 8. Um, I'm sorry, verse 18 where he says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. 
If you take the prophets of the Old Testament, you could find that almost every word they say falls in one of these three categories. A warning, calling people back to God, a judgment, or hope in the middle of that judgment. And this is what Micah is doing in our passage of chapter 5. So, um, if, Alex, if you could go to the next slide for me. We're going to look at three things today. First, in, in chapter 5, verses 2 through 6 in particular, and it's going to be very simple. What this sp prophecy specifically says, number one, and number two, what it means, what it meant to the people in those days, and then what they understood after those days that it means during the days of the Messiah, and what we can understand it to mean looking back on history today. And then thirdly, why it matters to you and me. So let's look at Micah chapter 5 and look at the first point of what it says. So we read in the first verse here, if you, if you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open your phone with the, the app so that you can read along with us. Because we're going to go through different slides, we're not going to show the text of the passage at the same time. So it'll help you if you have the text in front of you and can let the Lord speak to you through that. So we... Um, we read the first verse of chapter 5 where he says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. Um, this was part of the previous um, paragraph that started in chapter 4, verse 11, where he talks about how the powerful armies of the Assyrians, which is a kingdom that, do that doesn't exist any longer, how they were coming against God's people. And this really happened during the time of King Ahaz. The Assyrian army came, um, Sennacherib, you maybe have heard of him, came against the city of Jerusalem and had encircled it, and Ahaz was praying for deliverance. And so this comes in the context of a very specific, desperate time that he says to muster your troops because he's, he's going to promise them something. So I just want to walk through this passage, first of all, and imagine what it meant to the people in that context. So chapter 5 and verse 1, with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So he is prophesying that the enemy of, Israel, of, of Jerusalem that has and sees them is going to bring shame to the ruler of Israel. Verse 2, we get to our Christmas prophecy. Um, he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So he's speaking about Bethlehem, which is a five-mile journey from Jerusalem. Today it is surrounded practically by Jerusalem, walled off by Israel to um, to isolate the Palestinian people that are living in Jerusalem at this time. The Church of the Nativity, which is in Bethlehem today, is the oldest standing church in the world that's sitting in the spot where they believe in tradition that Christ was born. But in those days, this town of Bethlehem was far outside of Jerusalem. It was a day's journey for the average person on foot. And he mentions... Ephrata. Why does he say Ephrata? Ephrata was the name of the region. So you'd be like saying, you know, Detroit, Michigan. And Ephrata was the name of the clan that King David came from. So as he's mentioning 
Bethlehem Ephrata, he's calling to mind the descendants of David who came from that place. And he mentions that this town is a small town. That's important as we're going to see so many contrasts of what God loves to do big things with small places and small people. And he says this, and he introduces in the second part of verse 2 our key character in this prophecy. He says, For from you shall come for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So if you have your Bible, I want you to underline, if you underline in your Bible, I realize some purists do not underline in their Bible, but if you want to underline in your Bible, or if you have a piece of paper, write this down, because this is the key ruler in Israel. This is the character who's coming from Bethlehem. It says about him, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So the first thing we see about this ruler is that he came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of, you could say, bread or the house of food. Um, in Morocco, we use the word lahem to mean meat. Do you say that in Syria? Lahem mean meat. So you could call it the house of meat. Very interesting that the incarnation or the, how would you say this in English? The in flesh becoming of the Messiah was in the house of flesh or the house of meat, Bethlehem. So this ruler would be born in Bethlehem, but what do we learn about him in verse 2? He is, it says here, he comes forth for me. Other translations in Hebrew could also be translated from me. And it says, one who, um, whose coming forth is from old. This is the word kadam. In Hebrew, very similar to our Arabic word kadim. He comes from of old. You could say that's referring back to King David and the old 300 years previous. But then he adds to that and he says, from ancient days. This is the word in Hebrew, in Hebrew yum olam, or from eternity past. This is the same word that Daniel, when he saw a vision of God sitting on a throne, he called him the ancient of days sitting on a throne. Or one whose, etern whose past has no beginning. The causeless causer, the beginningless beginner is who this ruler of Israel who is, comes from Bethlehem is going to be. The text leaves no doubt that this is the eternal God himself who's going to come from Bethlehem. And then in verse 3, he says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So there's going to be a time where Israel is going to be abandoned or left alone by God until she who is in labor has given birth. It doesn't give us any more details about who she who is in labor. We could assume it's the one who will be giving birth to this ruler who's coming from Bethlehem. It says, then, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This part of the prophecy I find along all of the prophets, they speak about the brothers of Israel. It says, or brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So being, they're going to return. The return is a big part of prophecy of the, of the, of the prophets. And we can understand in those days, how would they have understood this? 
At that time, the dispersion had not happened where the Jews were spread out around the whole world. But it, it seems here that his brothers means not the people of Israel, but brothers to the people of Israel will be returned. You could say it's part of the dispersion that will be re returned. Other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah will point to the fact that the Gentiles will be gathered together as brothers with Israel. And so if you're reading this prophecy, Jerusalem is surrounded by their enemies. You are waiting for someone who's going to come from Bethlehem, but you're expecting there to be a time of abandonment where God is leaving Israel until this woman gives birth and he gathers the brothers of Israel together. Continuing on in verse 4, he says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock. So this ruler in Israel that you underlined, it is he who's going to be like a shepherd, and he's going to shepherd his flock. And there's two descriptors of this ruler in Israel. He will be in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. So this ruler in Israel will not only be powerful, but his power will be the strength of the Lord. It won't be the strength that we could attribute to any human, like Sennacherib who was threatening them, or later the Babylonian king who had all the power of human armies, of Nebuchadnezzar. This ruler from Israel, from Bethlehem, would come in the strength of the Lord. Not only the strength of the Lord, also the majesty of the Lord. We read, we, we read just in the Gospel of Mark about the entrance into Jerusalem of the king uh, riding on a, on a donkey. So it says they shall, and continue on in verse 4, they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So this word, they shall dwell secure, would be amen, or it would mean complete safety. But not only for the people of Jerusalem, look what it says here, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Other translations say that his kingdom will stretch to the ends of the earth. So this baby born in Bethlehem to this woman will be ruler, will come from of old. He will do wondrous, powerful works that only God can do. He will come in the majesty of the Lord himself. And he will bring peace, not just to Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth, it says in the end of verse 4. Verse 5, it says, and he shall be their peace, or he shall be peace. The Hebrew doesn't give an adjective or a uh, an article for this. It says, and he shall be peace. The word shalom or salem. He will be peace. If you've read much of the New Testament, you're seeing a lot of parallels, I think. Right? He shall be peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. What would these seven shepherds be and who would these eight princes of men be and why this specific number? Um, commentators and, and people in those times didn't exactly know what the seven or the eight princes of men who would rise up. We can assume, I think, that it means a very non-specific number because he gives two numbers, but a complete number. 
would be, ra would be raised up. In verse 6, it says, They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. So you see that this ruler in Israel who came from eternity past, who is called peace, who will bring peace to the ends of the earth, who will do mighty works in the name of God and works that humans cannot do, who comes in the majesty of the Lord. It's giving us a whole picture of who this child born in Bethlehem will be. It says, he will deliver us. He's saying he's going to deliver us from the Assyrians. Okay, so this is what it says. Now, there's much we could observe here, but what does it mean? If you can, Alex, go with me to the next slide here and also the next one. So what does it mean? So prophecy about the future. How do we understand these words that talk about this very specific time and place where the Assyrians were attacking the city of Jerusalem and today and then 700 years later the birth of this child in Bethlehem? How do we understand what this could possibly mean because you seem to have little details mixed in each half of a verse you're switching back and forth between things that happened and things that would still not happen for 700 years and things that still as we sit here today still haven't happened how do we understand old testament prophecy and i took we jillian i think took this picture last year in um, next at the base of the Jungfrau, which is a mountain in Switzerland. So you see this, you see this gray rock protrusion called, it's called the Jungfrau, or the, the virgin um, mountain, basically. And in the foreground, you see a smaller green mountain. And in the furthest background, you see the highest, one of the highest peaks in Switzerland in a third level of mountains behind it. So this view that we had, this is where we used to camp before we moved to Detroit last year um, and found the, the most beautiful spot in creation right here in Detroit. So uh, wherever God calls you is the most beautiful spot in the world. This picture will give you an idea of what it looks like from, for the prophets. God gave them a prophecy and they could see things in front of them. They didn't know when they would happen, and, they, and, it would, and God had it mixed up in sort of a picture like that, where one would come, but still there would be a valley that they couldn't see, and then there would be another peak that they could see, and then even further would be a third peak that they could see finally. And this is what, when we look at this chapter of, verse five, of chapter 5, what did it mean? Well, Go with me, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 2, and we can see what the Jews, during the time of Jesus, the Hebrew scholars, understood at least partially what this meant. They understood that this ruler from Bethlehem never came. God did deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrians, like he said. So that part that we read about how he would deliver Jerusalem from Assyria, that happened. But there was no ruler from Israel, or from Bethlehem. And there was no time of being abandoned. So what were they waiting for? Look in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. So he gathered together all the Pharisees, all of the scribes, all the people who we've read through the Gospel of Mark were questioning Jesus, were attacking Jesus, and would soon crucify Jesus born in Bethlehem. And what is Herod's question for these men? He says, and he assembled all of them together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In verse 5 it says, They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then he quotes Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. If you notice, there's some differences in the way they quoted Micah chapter 2. It's because in the Targum, which is the Hebrew word for Targum in Arabic, which means the translation, they would translate things from Hebrew into Aramaic or into Greek, which it's written down here in, and they would get the big points. So the big points that they got was that from Bethlehem would come a ruler of Judah, and he would be the shepherd of his people. So they got the big points of what Micah was saying, and they realized that if you look at this hill and think of that green mountain that's the first one, that if you imagine that to be their current context that Micah prophesied in, in chapter 5, they realized that there were parts of that prophecy that were not fulfilled yet. So there were still things to come. There was still a ruler from Bethlehem to come, and they were waiting for him. So these observations were from the Pharisees. This is important that we realize that Matthew was quoting from the Jewish leaders and teachers of that day. This is not a Christian interpretation of the prophet Micah. This was a current day Jewish interpretation of their own scriptures that they were waiting for a ruler from Bethlehem to come. So then how can we, with the light of the New Testament and the light of Jesus, understand the rest of this prophecy in Michael 5? And I just want to draw out a few things to lift up Christ in your minds today. As we read the Old Testament, I want to encourage you to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, which means that as we read the Old Testament, we read it understanding the fulfillment that we see in Christ, and Christ actually teaches us about the Old Testament. The reason we can trust the interpretation of Christ in the Old Testament is because of one, well, a number of things, but one major thing. A number of things would be the miracles that he did that were done in the strength of the Lord. We read in Micah 5 that this ruler would do things in the strength of the Lord. The, the ruler of Israel, Jesus, healed the sick, caused the blind to see who were born blind. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the dead to be raised. He had a sort of a strength that was the strength of the Lord. So that was the proof, the strength of the Lord, or the signs that he did, that we can trust him to interpret these prophecies of the Old Testament for us. Further, 
his resurrection is the proof of the interpretation of the Old Testament for us. So as we receive this prophecy of chapter 5, we're reading it in light, the light that we have in Christ of the Old Testament. And I want you to I want to point out a, f- a few things. First of all, Jesus is the eternal God-man. He will be the good shepherd of his people. He will be the strength and majesty of God. So the eternal God had his birth and came through into our world, as you could say, in Bethlehem. Secondly, there will be a time of, time of silence. Look, before God sends his Messiah, if you remember that it says in verse 3 that he will abandon them until the time she gives birth. There was a time between the prophets, the last one, Malachi, until the coming of uh, the birth of Jesus of 400 years in which God did not speak to his people. So we could see potentially that this, this chapter, verse 3, where it says that he will abandon his people until she gives birth, that this is speaking of that time of silence between the last prophet and the coming of our Savior Jesus. So then what is it the rest of his brothers shall return to the people that Jesus will gather the Gentiles together with, the, with his people, with the people of God, that those people of the old covenant, the people of Israel, that he called his people, the plan and the, ro- the role, R-O-L-E, of the prince or the ruler of Israel, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, would be to gather a people from all of the brothers of God, from all of the Gentiles together. So as we celebrated last week in Arabic and this week singing in Spanish and in Arabic, we are celebrating the work of God to bring all of the nations to his people, to become his people. This was what, this, if, if this were all we had in Micah, it wouldn't be enough, but the other prophets prophesying about how God's purpose through the Messiah would to bring that God would bless all nations through the seed of Abraham and through, the peop- through King David and his family, he would bring all the nations under his good and peaceful role. Rule, R-U-L-E. So um, Jesus will gather the Gentiles together and we of the nations who are not Jewish this morning have been, or this evening, have been included into God's family because of this child born in Bethlehem. Finally, the peace of the Messiah will be greater than the present threat during the day of Ahaz. So the people in Jerusalem, as they read this prophecy, saw as the clear and present danger and threat to be Assyria and Sennacherib. This king who had come with all of the power of the kingdoms of the world against them, and that was all they could see. God was using that not as a final judgment, not as a final end in itself, but he was using Assyria to picture a greater evil that the Messiah, the ruler in Israel, would overcome. When Jesus came, he told us who that greater evil is, that he on the cross would accomplish defeat, not only of evil nations of the world, but of sin that dwells ruling in the heart of every man 
and death and hell that would await us because of our sin. So we can see through Assyria to the greatest evil overcome by the greatest ruler that came from Bethlehem, who came from of old, who is our Savior. And that his reign would not be only for these specific people. We can also see through Jerusalem and through Israel to a greater purpose that God has, which is all of the nations of the earth. It says here that his peace would extend to the ends of the earth. So Alex, if you could go with me to the next one. This is a little drawing that Matt loves so much that I drew here. This shows that the fulfillment of prophecy initially given is bound by one time and place, but it, it's not fully fulfilled. It points to a, a time when he will completely fulfill it for all people regardless of time and place. So a prophecy looks partially to where the context is in, but past it to a, a universal time and a place around uh, that, that is for all peoples. Why is that important? Because there are still some prophecies in chapter 5 that have not yet been completed. It says that he shall be great to the ends of the earth. His peace will extend to all parts of the earth. So this is where we get to the last point, if Alex could help me to go to it, of why this matters to you and me. This means because though we've passed the first mountain of the context of the prophet, we've gotten to the next mountaintop, which is the coming of Christ. We are now in a valley waiting for the final fulfillment of the return of Jesus, the second advent of Jesus returning, where he will bring peace. And so we look at the troubles of the world. We look at the wars in Sudan and the war between um, in, in, the, in the Holy Land today, in, Jeru in Israel and, and Palestine. We look at the wars of this world and we want to find human solutions. But what we are left to do because of this prophecy is say, Lord Jesus, come. Come again and bring peace to the ends of the earth. That is to say that his rule is all that ultimately matters to you and me. All of the rule of all of the kings and presidents and prime ministers of this world are only acting under the authority of God and until Christ comes and brings history to completion with the rule of Jesus. So we are not trying to take over this government in this city or any other, but we are, as a people, praying, Lord Jesus, bring your peace to the ends of the earth. Why else does this matter? Because we must personally submit to this good king. I love that song, he's a good and gracious king. It matters what you do now between the mountains of prophecy as we're waiting for the return of Jesus. It matters that in your life, in the mundane things, you're submitting to the good rule of the ruler that came from Bethlehem. To allow him now to rule in your heart, to submit to him, is to submit to the king who will come and rule over all the world. And he who sees your heart and knows where you are 
will not be ignorant in the time of his return of your love and submission to him as your good king. And in the role of the prophet who would warn people to turn to God, the role of the preacher standing to preach the word of God today is to receive this Jesus, not only as a cultural thing to celebrate in December, but as your king, as your king in every area and decision of your life. The ruler over your finances and over your relationships. The ruler over your emotions and over your words and actions. Submit now to this good king, Jesus. Thirdly, we can rejoice in the victory that he has already secured. As I look back at these prophecies and how God has sovereignly performed them, it gives me great confidence that he will perform what he has said because of the miraculous way he's already performed what he has promised. Finally, there are still mountain peaks ahead of us for Jesus' return. I would like to encourage you during this Christmas season to get into God's word and allow God's word to get into your hearts. If you're not in the habit of daily, and I would encourage it in the mornings, coming before God and his word and asking him, search me through your word. I want to follow you. I want my family to follow you. That's what the purpose of a church is. Together, we follow Jesus together. If we don't follow Jesus together, then we are a social organization who enjoy one another but have no eternal significance. But we are the church of Christ. We are one ex local expression of the church of Jesus Christ who is now submitting to his eternal rule. What is the result of this application of the following of Christ today? The application for you and me is peace. And we might not see peace around us, and we might not see peace in this world, but Jesus said, my peace I give you, not like this world gives you, but I give you my peace. May the peace of God because of this little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, rule in your hearts and minds until his return and we see him face to face. Lord, we thank you that your prophecies give us confidence. We come to you with faith. And we say, Lord, you are the ruler of this church. You are the shepherd of every heart. You are the over-shepherd of this body. And Lord, together, we want to submit to you, looking for your return. We also want to pray, even so, Lord, come quickly. We, we long for you to return. We look for you to return. This world, though not encircled by a foreign army around our walls, is completely destroying itself. And we attest and say, like Micah, the only hope is that this ruler from Bethlehem would return and reign again. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.